Open your Bible with me to Nehemiah chapter 2 as we continue to discover the life of Nehemiah and we look at the restoration of the wall in Jerusalem and we're seeing how God is using Nehemiah, preparing Nehemiah to be that one influencer. You know that word, that's kind of a buzzword now, an influencer. I kind of came up with a definition of an influencer and as far as I can tell, this is what an influencer is. It's an unemployed adult whose life is, is so interesting that working people will spend every moment that they can watching their every move on social media, and they get paid to do it. An influencer. And, and when uh, one of these people uh, come up on the news, they, they have no other title. They just call them a social media influencer. Did you know that you are an influencer? I'm not one of these types of influencers because my life is not that interesting. I mean, people don't want to know my every thought, I promise you. You would be bored to death. But we have influence, though. And God has given us some measure of influence. Every person in the room, God has given some measure of influence. Some of you are students. And so the person sitting next, next to you in class, they're watching your behavior and they are taking notes. And not on what's on the board, but taking notes on you mentally. Some of you are teachers. And God is calling you to take a bold stance for the Lord in your position because you have influence. Imagine that. The influence to shape a mind, shape the minds of the next generation. Some of you are healthcare workers. You have influence over the people whenever they're having their worst day of their life. Moms, dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, Sunday school teachers, coaches. What powerful influence we wield over the next generation. You are shaping young minds, instilling a worldview in the minds of the next generation of leaders. From production, construction to sales and services, every person in this room has God-given influence based upon their position? Don't say you don't. But here's the truth that I want you to see this morning as we get into God's Word in Nehemiah chapter 2. God is building His kingdom through your influence. God is using your influence to build His kingdom. He's going to take the influence that you have, you submit it to Him... And build his kingdom through you. Not so you don't have influence so that you can build your own kingdom. It's so that you can build the kingdom of God right where you are. Let's stand together and let's read Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. We're going to see how Nehemiah exercises the influence that he's been given by God as he asks King Artaxerxes for leave to go rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. Verse 1 In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad 
when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. Now listen to this. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Let us pray together. Father, we are thankful for your word today. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word, Lord, that we might hear exactly what you are saying to us, Lord. Give me words as I preach. And Father God, that as we hear, Lord, that we would be obedient as we depart. Father, that we may build your kingdom wherever we go. We pray this in the strong and matchless name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. I want to give you five quick points this morning. If we are going to exercise our God-given influence to help restore what's broken in our society, we are going to have to, number one, get up. We're going to have to get up. And what I mean by that, we got to get up every day, put our big boy pants on, our big girl pants on, and we got to get after it. We got to get up. We can't just sit idly by. There's work to be done. There's things that need to be done in and around us, and we need the Lord's help to do that. But it starts by just simply making the choice to get up and ask the Lord to use us that day. Get up. In the, four, in the month of Nisan, which is four months that Nehemiah has been mourning over the city of Jerusalem and the plight of his people, King Artaxerxes, for some reason, hasn't noticed that he was sad. Now, perhaps, and what some scholars have said, said that King Artaxerxes must have taken a trip and had been gone for a certain amount of time. But in the month of Nisan, that was the beginning of the new year. And so he came home. And the Bible says that it was when wine was before him. So there was celebration. It was the new year. And it was time for people to make merry and enjoy themselves. And the king was leader among them. But it says in verse 1 again, it says, Nehemiah said, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Where was Nehemiah? Well, Nehemiah was basically at work. He was doing his job. It was the daily thing that he had to do. It was his responsibility. And he got up every day and he went to work and he fulfilled his obligation, even though his heart was broken. Have you ever had to do something that you just really didn't feel like doing because you just didn't feel good, but you went and did it anyway because it was your responsibility? Now listen, I know we got aches and pains, and I'm getting more and more of them every single day. And somebody told me whenever it rolls over to 40, I'm going to feel things I've never felt before. I'm not looking forward to that. And then somebody said whenever you roll over to 50, that's when it really hits you. 
And some of you are saying, well, wait till you get to be 70. Wait till you get to be 80. And I'll tell you, there are days when you're not going to feel like doing what God has called you to do. There's days, young people, when you're not going to feel like getting up and taking that test or, or studying those notes or whatever you've got to do. And you've got to get up and do it if you want to have the influence. And what does this all boil down to? Well, it boils down to our integrity and our character. And Nehemiah's character was such that it built his influence with the king. He obviously had a personal relationship with the king because of his position of responsibility. But notice Nehemiah didn't have any authority. He just showed up every day, put on a happy face, and did his job to the glory of God, which is what we're called to do. Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. But because Nehemiah was there on a daily basis, even when he didn't feel like being there, he was there doing what he was called to do. He was doing his job and he was doing it well. He was entrusted with more. Matthew 25, verse 21, Jesus speaking about the parable of the talents, he says, his master said to the one who had multiplied his talents, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so he did what he was called to do. You know, there are kingdom consequences for everyday choices. Whatever you decide to do, there's going to be a consequence for that. And it's all going to be building up, hopefully, to one day you hear from the master, well done, good and faithful. Isn't that the goal? Isn't that the aim of our life? But listen, if you don't get up and take your place in the kingdom, then the influence that you have is going to diminish. Going to diminish. And the opportunities that you have will diminish as well. Someone asked William Booth, General William Booth, who was the uh, he was a founder of the Salvation Army. Do you remember him? Someone asked him one day in an interview, General Booth, how did you have so such a great impact on the world around you? What was the secret to your success? And this was his response. He said, God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. Is that true for you? So, number one, you've got to get up. Number two, if you're going to have the kind of influence that Nehemiah had and, and how he used it for the kingdom, you got to man up or woman up. Man up. Now, listen to the next thing. He, the king says... You know, he, Nehemiah mentions that he's never been sad in his presence before. He's just put on a happy face, went to work, always done his job. But there he can't keep his face from being sad. And so the king sees it and says, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This, this is nothing but sadness of the heart. And he says, then I was very much afraid. I was very much, well, why was he afraid? Well, his job as the, the cupbearer to the king was to actually taste some of whatever went to the king. He had, he had that responsibility. The reason they gave that responsibility to him is because there's always pots and 
and assassination, assassination attempts against the king in authority. Persia is the greatest kingdom in the world at this time. There's plenty of people who want King Artaxerxes off of the throne so that they can have their will and their way. So Nehemiah was entrusted with this responsibility to take a little bit of whatever went before the king. And if he got sick, if Nehemiah got sick, then the king would know that someone was trying to kill him. So Nehemiah could possibly have suffered and died because of his position. But Nehemiah was sick or sad before the king. And the king says, well, you're not sick, are you? (laughs) I mean, this is what the king is saying. I mean, you don't look sick, but you look sad. What's wrong? The sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah's reaction is, I was very afraid. Well, why would he be afraid? Well, the king had absolute authority to imprison Nehemiah, kill him, or even worse. And so Nehemiah was obviously afraid, and he had a good reason to be afraid. Nehemiah had about five seconds to decide what he was going to do with his fear. And when you and I are afraid, really, we have about five seconds to decide what to do with that fear. I think that's why the Bible reminds us 365 times, no less than 365 times, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Why? Because fear will keep you from completing the task that the Lord has assigned to you. It will petrify you. It will keep you motionless still. It will bind you. The wrong answer, Nehemiah gave it, would have killed him. And yet, if he spoke up for his people and his homeland, he might still have been killed. Nehemiah had five seconds, and what did he do in those five seconds? He took a big gulp. He swallowed his fear. He overcame his fear. And he spoke up for the glory of God. He manned up in the moment. If you know Jesus, and and you realize it's your job to influence the world around you for the kingdom of God, your greatest obstacle to exercising your kingdom influence is fear. And you have to kill it. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.7, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. As some translations say, a sound mind. That God has given us not a spirit of fear. If fear is coming up in you and, and welling up inside of you, whenever God is telling you to move, God is telling you to speak, God is telling you to go, whenever God tells you to do that, if you're afraid, know that that fear has not come from God. God didn't give you that spirit. Solomon reminds us in Proverbs 29, 25, he says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And listen, that's not just a proverb, that's a promise. I want to tell you this, some people say, well, proverbs are just proverbs, they're not promises. Listen, they're God's word, guess what, they're a promise. And you can take it to the bank. And you can say, I know that if I choose to follow the Lord and trust in the Lord, that he's going to take care of me. Somebody say amen to that. If you want to learn more about that, come on Wednesday night, because that's what we're studying on Wednesday night. We need students who will take a stand for their faith in schools and not be afraid to gather together. I remember whenever I was a high school student, 
I was afraid of what all my peers would think if I got, a, got to the flagpole and prayed around with the other students or if I brought my Bible to school. We need more teachers who will stand up for the Lord in the classroom and not be afraid of the consequences of that. To speak the truth no matter what. Listen, even if it means you lose your job, so what? God's got another job. There's something else that he'll want you to do if you lose that job. He's put you there so you can influence the people there in that sphere for the glory of God. We need more business people who will stand up for the Lord in their workplaces. And not be self-promoting. But will be Christ-promoting in a secular environment. We need more filmmakers in the entertainment industry who will make godly, wholesome entertainment. I'm so thankful. We got a couple of our students that graduated in May, and now they've gone off, they're going off to film school, and they're going to be making godly movies. So we, our children can have wholesome entertainment, godly films. I'm excited about that. We need more servicemen and women who will exercise their freedom of religion by praying and going to chapel services and standing up for the, the Lord wherever they are in the field. We need more political leaders who will speak boldly the truth in the public sphere without regard to the consequences. you got to get up. you got to man up and woman up. Thirdly, you got to speak up if you're going to have kingdom influence. Look at verse 4 and 5 with me again. It says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? The king just opened up the door and said, what is it that you want? Now, in that moment, Nehemiah, I imagine a thousand things flash through Nehemiah's head, but he's had four months to prepare for what he's going to say. And Nehemiah doesn't speak up for himself. He doesn't speak up for his own position or promotion or anything like that. Nehemiah doesn't ask to be a governor. What does Nehemiah say? What does he want? Well, he wants to go back and build the wall. He wants to be used by God. So Nehemiah took the opportunity to speak up for the Lord and for his people to a powerful king. When it was his turn, Nehemiah wasn't silent. Nehemiah was willing to speak. His words were first a blessing to the king. I want you to see what he says here again. We'll read it again. He says, uh, whenever he says, uh, why is your face sad, seeing that you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. He was very much afraid. And in verse 3, let the king live forever. The first words that came out of his mouth was a blessing to the king. And that's a good thing. And, that, and we ought to take that as a model, okay? Because Nehemiah didn't come up and say anything ugly to the king. He might have had the opportunity to do that. I mean, it probably would have ended in death. But he had the opportunity to say to the king at that point, you and all the Persian leaders... You and, and the leaders of Babylon, you're the problem. You're the reason we're in this situation. He didn't do that. He said, let the king live forever. I want to just say this real quick, and this is a side note. If you only have something negative to say, keep it to yourself. My mama used to say, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And she's sitting there, and she's looking at me right now. And I know she's telling me the same thing today. That she's always said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. And then notice the next thing he did. After he said, oh, king, live forever. And he told him why he was sad. 
The next thing he did was he prayed to God. He said, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. So not only did he speak to the king in authority, but in his heart and in his mind, he was speaking not to the king, but to the king of kings and to the Lord of lords. And he was making his request known to God, the one who had the authority. He was exercising the greatest influence that he had of all. And listen, you and I, when we go to our knees in prayer, we are exercising the greatest influence that God has ever given us. You have the ear of Almighty God and all of the resources that are at His disposal of the entire universe are available for you. I love, I love what uh, Reverend Billy Graham used to say. He used to say, Heaven is full of answers. The prayers for which no one ever bothered to ask. And then we hear what James says in James 4, 2. He says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You don't go to the Lord. Do you know that, that the United States of America is still overwhelmingly Christian, in a, uh, an overwhelmingly Christian nation? Did you know that? I mean, we, we talk about how it's declining and the nuns are growing and all that kind of stuff. But more than 63% of Americans still identify today as Christian in one form or another. So if the 210 million Christians left their lazy boys, stopped being the silent majority, and voted their conscience, we could restore the moral foundations of America in one election. If we just do it. And some of you say, well, some of you say, well, I'm not going to the polls because I go to vote and it doesn't even count. And I got to say, well, is that a good reason to go, um, to not go, to sit at home? And it seems like if, if there is fraud in our elections, wouldn't it make you want to get up and go and make as, have as many people vote as possible so that we can restore the moral foundations of our country? I mean, that ought to be an impetus to go and vote. Too many Christians are being silent about important things whenever we need to be speaking up. Howard Hendricks used to say, in the midst of a generation screaming for answers, Christians are stuttering. And we got to quit doing that, folks. We know the answer. But I'm going to tell you this. The Lord Jesus is not going to speak through you until he speaks to you and you listen. If you haven't received a word from God, then you have nothing to say. Peter says, if anyone speaks, let him speak the oracles of God. You know what that means? If you're going to have kingdom influence, it's got to start when you're... We, the same vertical relationship that Nehemiah had where he began with prayer. And then he continued with prayer. And before he continued to speak to the king, he went to the Lord in prayer. And he received a word from God. And then he spoke a word from God. Does the Lord speak to you? Do you hear his voice? Have you spoken for him today? Get up, man up, woman up, speak up. 
fourthly, stand up. Look at what it says in verses 6 through 8 again. And so he, he says, let's just back up and hit verse 5 real quick and finish it up. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild in verse 6. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. It's like Nehemiah realizes, well, the king didn't just kill me for asking. <laughs> I think that, listen, some of us, we need to say what needs to be said. And once we say it, we'll realize that God was in it and God wanted us to say it. And then we'll realize, hey, I'm okay. I'm still alive. I didn't just die whenever I spoke the word of God. Hey, do that. I mean, to the cubicle next to you, whatever, the person next to you, share the gospel with them. Speak the truth, and then you'll find out, hey, you live through it. <laughs> I don't know why we're so afraid to share our faith. But Nehemiah says, since I have found favor, now listen to what he does next. He gets really bold, okay? He takes a stand, and he asks for exactly what he needs. And so he says, and I, had said to the king, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest. All right, so, so let's just stop here for just a second. Nehemiah, Nehemiah first asks for letters to be sent that would go on before him for safe passage for himself. The authorization of the king. He says, give me authorization, in other words. And then the second thing that he asks for, he asks for provisions for the work. Look at what it says next. Ask Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. <laughs> Nehemiah says, listen, here's what I want. And this is what I want you to do for me. He tells the king. I mean, this, listen, the king of Persia is the king of the known world. And he stands up before power and he says to the king, this is what I want you to do for me. Man, he's taking a stand. And he's taking a bold stand. The Lord had set before him an open door. He had this one opportunity. And Nehemiah stood up. Now, you may only get one opportunity. To leave a lasting impact on a temporary world. There may only be one. Aren't you glad that the founders of this nation took a bold stand in front of the king the day that they did that when they signed the Declaration of Independence? Let me just read to you the last paragraph, if you'll indulge me for a moment. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America, in general Congress, assembled, appealing to the supreme judge, who's that? That's the Lord Jesus of the world. For the rectitude of our intentions due in the name and by the authority of the good people of these colonies, solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states, that they are absolved from all allegiance to the British crown. And that all political connection between them and the state of Great Britain is and ought to be totally dissolved. And that as free and independent states, they have full power to levy war, conclude peace, contract alliances, 
establish commerce and to do all other acts and things which are in, which independent states may of right do. And for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortune, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. I'm so glad that those men took a stand. Whenever it was their opportunity, they didn't back down. Be bold before the world. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, when we're talking about putting on the armor of God, he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore. Too many Christians arrive at the pinnacle of their influence. And instead of in that moment taking a stand for the kingdom of God, they look out for their own personal interests and they build their own kingdom. So we had to get up. We got a man and woman up. Amen. We got to speak up. We got to stand up. Lastly, we need to praise up. Now, I know that that probably isn't good English, but it goes with my sermon. So praise up. Verse 8, look at what it says. And the letter to Asaph. I'm sorry, let me uh, go to the end of verse 8. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Nehemiah gave praise to his God for his good fortune. And you'll see Nehemiah and Ezra doing the same thing in the book of Ezra. Giving praise and credit to God for every good thing that happened. And listen, if you want to have kingdom influence, you've got to be a person, a man or a woman, that when you stand up and you make your stand, you give praise and credit to God for the result. And you say it's because of Him and what He has done. He has done everything. I'm just His servant. I'm just here letting God use me. Listen, here's your challenge. View your position wherever you are as a God-given opportunity to give glory to your God and to lead others to Him. Nothing you have belongs to you. Nothing you have is your own. No position is given so that you can promote yourself your own opinions, your selfish motives, whatever you have is to be used to bring glory to God and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, everything you have. Your money, your car, your home, your front door, your bank account, your health, your hospital visit, the t-shirt on your back, everything you have. The time that you spend with your stylist in the chair, ladies, the conversation you have with another patron in line at the grocery store. You know, the most influential person that ever walked the face of the planet, even according to Times, says that Jesus is the most influential person. He probably never went more than 50 miles away from his home. He was born as a peasant. He lived an artisan's, craftsman's life in an unknown city. 
He hung out with fishermen and tax collectors. He was the lowliest of the low. He was meek and humble. But aren't you glad that he wasn't afraid to take his God-given influence and use it to become the greatest influence that the world has ever known. How did he do that? Well, he lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death. And he was raised again on the third day. And he did it all for you and me so that we could have salvation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. You'll never have the influence that you need to have and should have on this earth until you know the greatest influencer of all time, until you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And right now, today, He's willing to set you free from your sin and set you up for blessing and purpose and meaning and hope. He'll give you all of these things. He'll take away what years of sin have done in your life that corrupted you and corrupted your heart, and He'll wash you clean and He'll make you a brand new person. But you've got to be willing to let Him in. And so this is your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you want to ask Jesus to be your personal Lord and Savior, pray these words in your heart. Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things that I know are wrong, and I've failed to do the things that I know are right. And Jesus, I deserve the penalty for my sin. However, Jesus, I know, I believe with all my heart that you lived a sinless life, the life I could never live, and you died in my place. I believe that you were raised again on the third day to prove that you are Lord and King of all. And so, Jesus, I submit my heart to you. I ask you to forgive me. Come into my life. Make me a new person. And I'll spend the rest of my life living for you and loving you. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you for my home in heaven. In your name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me? We're about to have our invitation. This is your opportunity as we sing this song. This is your opportunity for you to come forward and let us know the decision that you've made in your heart. If you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, we want to celebrate with you. We want to offer you believers baptism and resources so you can grow and develop in your knowledge of Jesus and your walk with Him. We've got small group Sunday school that we'd love to tell you about and other opportunities of service that we want to tell you about. And so you take this opportunity to come and let us know. We'll rejoice with you and celebrate with you. If you're looking for a church home and you know that God is bringing you to Myrtle Grove Baptist Church to join in full faith and fellowship and serve the Lord here, then you come. This is your opportunity. If you simply need prayer and you just want to, you know that you've wasted the influence that God has given you and you want to get that right now, then you come and we'll pray with you. Our altar counselors are coming. You come as we sing our living hope.
make you wait for the rest of that just for just a second because you're going to sing it like you mean it church I know you will but I just want to say this last week we saw Nehemiah bringing the the sins of his people and bringing the sins of his own family and then bringing his own personal sin before God and he confessed it to the Lord I want to tell you listen you'll never have influence over the people around you, if you're just squandering your time and your life and sin, and now is the opportunity right now, right here, for you to confess your sin and be made clean. You can be absolutely made clean from your sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness when we confess. And so if you do that, just bow your heads for just a second and take a moment and just say, Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I'm wasting my time in sin and I want to be set free from it right now. God, make me clean from it. 
Let the, the chains fall right now, Lord. Make me new, I pray. Thank you for forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this and sing it out like you mean it. Okay? Jesus has been raised from the dead. He defeated sin. He's alive. I want you to sing it like you mean it, church. Right now, sing it. Jesus, you're the victor.